0: In previous parables, we see Jesus express the Father's desire that the lost be saved. In Luke, the 14th chapter, in verses 15 through 24, you remember that Jesus gave the parable of the Great Supper. And in that parable, we find revealed there the Father's desire that a man would enjoy the wonderful blessings that are found in his kingdom. You remember that Jesus had just finished a lesson on humility, and in the beginning of the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 15, the Bible says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then in verse number 16, you remember these words that Jesus said in response to those words. He said, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And the Bible says that that a servant was sent from the master or the Lord of the house at the very time of that feast to say that all those that were bidden would come because all things are now ready. You know, in Oriental custom, I understand, as we've talked about in time past, But understanding this, when a great supper or a great feast would be, and the invitation would be extended from the master or the Lord of the house. I understand and I am told that this is exactly how it happened. The invitations went out far prior to the time of the feast. And then just right at the time when all things were prepared, and all things were ready, and it was now time to come, A servant would be sent out from the master of the house to go to the people that had already been bidden to come to the supper. And so that was exactly what would happen. And that's what Jesus said in that parable. He said a servant went out to bid them or bring those in or to tell those that were already invited that all things are now ready. You know, Jesus said so sadly that they began, as we know the story, they began to all make excuse. They began to reject the invitation that was extended, that was a wonderful invitation. They had other things in their life that they found and deemed to be more important than coming to the great supper. I want you to know something that's very important, though, in understanding that parable that Jesus gave so long ago. They had plenty of opportunity to rearrange their schedules if need be to put the great feast and the great supper of first and foremost by way of importance in their life. But they did not. Realizing they had already been bidden to such a wonderful supper, the Bible says, and Jesus declares, that they all begin to make excuse. And the first one says those words, he says, I've bought a piece of ground, and therefore I must go and see it. You see, there was a possession in his life that was keeping him from the feast. The second one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. There it is. He said, please have me excused. He had a business transaction that was more important. Well, the third one said, well, I've got a wife, and I can't come. There's certainly nothing wrong with having a wife. I have one myself. The point being is this, and that's the point that Jesus is conveying. This was a man that had a social tie. And I'm going to tell you something, whether it is a business transaction, whether it is a personal possession, or whether it is a social tie, or whether it is anything else in all the world that might stand in the way of accepting the great invitation to the great supper, It would be wrong. We find, though, that there's a common thread that's interwoven through these three excuse makers, and that is simply they felt that other things were far more important. You know, very sadly, as a result, the landowner in the parable lost his chance to secure a part of heaven in order to get a part of the earth. The businessman missed the chance to get the world's greatest business partner on his side in order to go see how his oxen worked. And the third one, well, he got a wife. You see, the Lord lets us know that oftentimes we let trivial things get in the way. We let trivial things stand in the way of service to the Almighty God. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that the master of the house said, as a result of those that had rejected the master's invitation, he said, you go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes and bring in the poor and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind." You know what I think of when I think of that? I think of the society that we live in. It's a very, very competitive society. Our children begin to compete in a ranking system in the schools. If they play sports, everything is based upon competition. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with good, wholesome competition. It is good for us. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is from the time that we are small children, we begin to compete, and the strong survives. The best go to the top. The best in every category rise to the very top in every field. But you know what's very encouraging to me? Jesus said all those that are poor, all those that are maimed, all those that are halt, all those that are blind, the world rejects them. And Jesus said, I want them. He said, I want every one of them. I want everyone to come into the feast. And the Bible says that the servant said, Master, we have done just as you have said, but there's still room. He said, you go outside the city now, and you go into the hedges, you go into the highways, you reach out and you get anyone that will come. And so the Bible says that the servant said, it is done as thou hast commanded. Yes, indeed, there's a ray of hope there for all of mankind, and that is this, that there's always room for one more. You remember that Jesus also gave the parable of counting the cost. You would uh, remember that prior to the things that we're going to talk about tonight, that he said that one that would come to him is one that is likened unto a man that is going to build a tower. How awful would it be for a man, Jesus says, in essence, to build a tower and start building. And by the way, this was those vineyard owners that would build a tower in the middle of their vineyard to have a tower that they needed in that they might be able to look over their landscape of their land and make sure no one is going to take that which is theirs or to destroy their property. So these individuals that were there that day, these big uh, shots, as it were, in the religious world, they were listening to Jesus, they were Jews, and they understood just exactly what he said and what he meant because they knew about building towers in the middle of vineyards. And the Bible says, Jesus says to them that when these towers were being built, just suppose someone began to build but never counted the cost and couldn't finish. Oh, he would say that people would look to them like they were foolish. How sad it is, they would say. This man began to build, but he was not able to finish. Very sadly tonight, I hope we understand we're not talking about towers and buildings. Jesus is talking about those that have not sat down and counted the cost and contemplated completeness in their Christian life. How sad it is. Those that have come to the great supper have come in obedience to the gospel but have turned their back on that which is right. Well, here we go now as we look at the setting of this parable. You remember that the publicans or the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to Jesus. Jesus. You know, I can think of nothing better than the sinners or the picture of the sinners drawing near to Jesus. Do you remember when there was a woman and she was a sinner? Maybe she was a prostitute. But this was a great sinner in her life. When she was in the very presence of Jesus, the Bible says that she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You see, when she was in the very presence of the Lord, she recognized and realized she was a sinner. She was overcome with that, and she was greatly appreciative of who Jesus was. And the Bible says that she was greater than all of those Pharisees who should have known better. They should have come with their alabaster boxes. They should have come and looked to Jesus as a visitor that day and should have washed his feet and should have been what she was. But the Bible says that she began to weep in his presence, even as she stood behind him. And with those tears, she wiped the precious feet of Jesus and dried them with her tears. But you know, there were so many people in that day and time, they would look to Jesus and they would discount Jesus and discredit Jesus because there were sinners that were drawn to him. You remember all of the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would cast such words in their tongue simply being this, this man is not a godly man, this man is not a good man, this man is not a righteous man because this man, he eats with publicans and sinners. Now, we know what a publican is. He was a tax collector. He was an extortioner. This was a man that was a Jew, but he was an extortioner. Why? Because he was contracted out by Rome, who was the rule over them, and they were the hired gun, as it were, to those at Rome to take money or taxes from fellow citizens that were Jews. But, you know, they only contracted at the, biggest, the, the highest bidder, those of Rome. They didn't care how much more that an individual took. And extortion was the game. And these publicans or tax collectors took whatever they wanted. And they stuck that in their pocket. You see, these were the ones that were attracted to Jesus. The sinners, the ones that the world had cast aside. The ones that the world had forsaken and said they're no good. What about the sinners? What about the prostitutes? What about all of those that had a horrible reputation? What about those harlots? You remember when Jesus was giving the parable of the two sons? You remember when Jesus said those words that a man of a vineyard, a vineyard owner, a husbandman, he has two sons. And he commands both of those sons to go into the vineyard and labor there. The first one says... I'm not going but then Jesus says he later repents and then he goes the second one though the second one from the very get-go he accepts the idea and he says I will do it but he doesn't go And Jesus looked at all these religious elite all of the lawyers all of the Pharisees all of the scribes and Jesus said In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31, whether of them twain did the will of the Father, they say unto him, The first, and Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. As they followed John the Baptist, those sinners of the day, so did they follow Jesus, because he had something that was better for them. Well, there were those that would try to discredit him. There were those that would begin to murmur, and those that would murmur were indeed those Pharisees and those scribes. But then Jesus is going to give some instruction he's going to preach a sermon with reference to God's love for the lost you think sometimes we might lose sight of that oh we believe in living a wholesome life we believe in doing that which is right let's not discredit that I'm not saying that at all I'm not saying that folks that are living in sin are to be accepted in their sinful state because God does not embrace them in their sinful state. All that simply means is, just like Jesus had all of those sinners before him, what did he tell them? He told them to repent. He told them to go away and sin no more. Forgiveness was had when a person made the about face in their life and decided that they no longer are going to live As a sinner it was those people that were forgiven but let us never ever lose sight of this fact regardless of what a person does in their life don't misunderstand me now regardless of what a person does in their life God may abhor and hate their sin but he loves their soul he loves their soul he will never stop loving the sinner God hates sin but loves the sinner. And so here we have the parable of the lost sheep. To illustrate their own hypocrisy and inconsistency, Jesus gave them a glimpse into the very heart of the Almighty God and His great love for sinners. I think it's important that we understand that this needs to be our attitude towards sinners as well. Jesus begins with the words, and you remember that every single time Jesus preached a sermon or taught a lesson, he was far greater than I am, far greater than you are. He didn't have to sit down and figure out what he might say. Oh no, what Jesus did is, Jesus got in that very situation, that very uh, element, something would come up and he preached the perfect sermon. And that's what he did here. All of those hypocrites that were there, all of those inconsistencies of these men, he said, which one of you puts it on them, would have a sheep? Which one of you would have a sheep? You have a hundred of them, but one of them leaves. One of them departs. He said, which one of you, and the language there is telling us, he is basically saying, in essence, every single one of you would do this very thing. That's what he meant when he said, which one of you? And so Jesus says they would do that very thing. They would go out, leaving the ninety and nine, and find that one lost sheep, and notice, notice how precious and priceless it would be to this shepherd or this sheep owner. He would go out and he would find that one sheep that was lost away from the flock. He would pick it up, he would hold it, he would drape it over his shoulder and he would walk regardless of the amount of distance or the amount of miles that it would take to go all the way back to his place where the 99 were. But you know what Jesus says? Then he says, not only are you going to do that, but then you're going to start rejoicing you know what else you're going to do? You're going to bring your friends over and they're going to rejoice too. He said this, you'd do it for a sheep, but that is how God looks at the soul of sinner. That the soul of the sinner that is lost is precious in the eyes of God and there's greater rejoicing when the one that comes into the fold that was lost. A lost sheep is converted and comes to the fold of the great shepherd. There's more rejoicing for that one than for the 99 who are already just and righteous. Oh, we don't want to misunderstand this point though. We don't want to misunderstand the point to say that those that are still living faithfully and those that are Christians and obeyed the gospel prior to that time are not precious in the eyes of God? Oh, yes, indeed, they are. And if you're a Christian tonight and you are living your life faithfully in accordance with the Word of God, then I'm going to tell you something tonight. The Lord is proud of you. The Lord is needing you to do His business. And the Lord loves you too. But the reason that there's so much joy over a sinner that repents is because of the other side of the coin if he no longer or doesn't repent. Repent eternal destiny in the devil's hell I think this tells you and I when we need to have a love for the lost the importance of preaching to the lost I understand that we sometimes preach the gospel and we need not to be weary in hearing the gospel if you've been a member of the Lord's Church it doesn't matter 50 60 years don't ever get weary in hearing the greatest story ever told do you still marvel at the things in God's word where God's plan was fulfilled in the sending of his son? Does it still not move you when you think about Jesus on that day when those nails were driven into his hands and into his feet? When Jesus lived the perfect, perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice. And as Jesus died on the cross, he said those words to his father, it is finished, what is finished? God's plan. Doesn't it move you to think that God did that for you and for me? Don't ever get tired of hearing the simple gospel. It is the simple gospel that we must preach to the lost, for we love them too. You remember that old song that we used to sing, I Love to Tell the Story? I love to tell the story for some have never heard. The message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory we sing the new, new song, it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Let us never grow weary in hearing the greatest story ever told. Well, let's look now at some lessons gleaned from this parable. We find that there's a tremendous lesson of the love of God in seeking those that are lost. God's love is not a waiting love, God's love is a seeking love. God is ever seeking those that are lost. He is ever reaching out to those that are lost. The question is not whether or not God is reaching and seeking the lost. The question is how is he doing so? Well, certainly not miraculously, Certainly not directly from heaven is he going to move us and guide us and have us by the back of the neck, guiding us as he would have us to go. It goes all the way back, as the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how it began. It began that God so loved the world, and that word so means In like manner. That was the type of love he had as he sent his son. All right. He continues to seek and save the lost through Christians preaching the word of God. He's depending on you and I. He continues to reach out to them to seek and save them that are lost. But he's counting on you and I, and sometimes we Let this become the greatest or best kept secret in town. But understand this, where the Bible says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is what Jesus told them to do. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But notice, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I want you to understand where the Bible clearly states there that not only is it the job of a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, to take the gospel to the lost and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But I want you to understand tonight, we have a responsibility from that point forward to give them something that'll sustain them in this life. Like one man said one time, whatever a person's converted with is what he'll need a steady diet of in order to keep him. If a person is moved with emotion and is converted with emotion, he's going to need a whole lot of emotion in order to stay. In order to be faithful. But if a person is converted with God's word. Then all he needs is a whole lot more. Of God's word. And if we will take that gospel. And take that word of God. And instruct it to those. And teach them all things. They will remain faithful. Until the end. You know I think it's important also. That we understand that. That sheep. That was lost. Was lost until he got back with the 99. The sheep was not safe until he got back with the 99. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight the 99 is the ark of safety. The 99 is the Lord's church. There is no safe place or safe haven outside of the church. You know, I realize tonight there are many churches, there are many religious affiliations in the world. I know that. I'm not concerned about any other affiliation in all the world. All I'm concerned about tonight with is this, the church that he built, the one that he promised that he would build in Matthew chapter 16, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, yes, indeed, we want to be a part of that. We want to be in the ark of safety. We want to be part of the body of Christ. There is no salvation apart from the Lord's church. Part of the body of Christ is when we are safe in the ark of safety. A person is lost in the world until they come to Jesus. You know, sometimes people think that we can be saved in whatever condition we want to be in whatever sinful condition, whatever choices we make, because Jesus died a long time ago, we can be saved in that condition. And then over time, God works on our heart and seeks to change us. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we must change first. We must repent first. We must make the about face in our life and make the determination that we are going to change first. When the gospel is preached in all the accounts of New Testament biblical history of all of the conversions in the book of Acts, we find that there was an alien sinner that was living their life apart from or away from God. And then something came to them in their life, was another man preaching the gospel to them that caused them to make a change in their heart. It all begins in the heart. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if the heart's not right, there's nothing right. If the heart is not changed, then a man cannot change. Sometimes people change their direction by their actions, but their heart is far from him. The Bible clearly states when a person is going to be saved, it is by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A person comes to hear the gospel. When the word of God, which has the power to save, is preached, It is that word and that power that is affected on the heart of man. It is that that's going to cause a man to make a decision. When he hears the word of God, then he must believe or not believe in order to continue down the path of what a man must do in order to be saved. Yes, he must believe in Jesus Christ. He must believe that Jesus is whom he says he is, that Jesus is the Christ Christ the Son of the living God. Then the Bible says that a person must repent. That's the change that we've been talking about tonight. A person must make the determination, I am going in this direction, I always have been going in this direction, but I no longer want to do so, I want to make a change. Then, a person stands and says those precious, wonderful words, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, when a person does that, Romans chapter 10 tells us those things are unto or up to salvation. But you know something? There's only one way to get into the body of Jesus Christ that we've talked about tonight. Galatians 3.27 says, For of many as you have been baptized into, into Christ have put on Christ. All of these steps are unto but baptism for the remission of a man's sins is into Christ. There's no safety, there's no salvation outside of the body of Christ. Well, as Jesus wrapped up these thoughts, there's one thing that we must understand from what we've learned. What about when the Bible says that we are to be separate from the sinful things that are in the world. Remember last night we talked about that the righteous needs not to even travel down the same path as the wicked. We gotta do something different. How do we work all that out with the yearning love and the seeking love that God has and is expecting you and I to go to the lost? Notice, it is true that a Christian must be separate from the world, 2 Corinthians chapter six and verses 14 through 18. It is, in fact, true that we must not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It is true that we must come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. But this does not mean that we isolate ourselves from the world, for Paul recognized that we could eat with those in the world, 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11. He instructed those at Corinth to eat with those in the world, 1 Corinthians ten twenty seven and 29 Jesus ate with the sinners, but not to partake of their sin or support them in th- their sin, he did so in order that he might redeem them. Now, I'll tell you, if that's your heart and your motive, there's nothing wrong with going and seeing someone that is living a sinful life. Remember what we talked about last night about the word of God being the seed, and Jesus discussed that in the parable of the sower? And how it all boils down to, and I said that tonight too, the heart of a man. Well, you know what? Sometimes when a person hears the gospel the first time, their heart is not right yet. But that doesn't mean that we quit. We have to continue, continue, continue to teach them what's found in God's word and prayerfully. Prayerfully, they will accept it with a good and honest heart because God is awaiting the time that he can give The increase you know after all how can we be the salt of the earth that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 5 if we don't mingle with the meat how can we be the light of the world as Jesus said to be in Matthew 5 on the great sermon on the mount if we don't shine as lights in darkness he wants the lost to be saved so very badly yes he does he wants the lost to turn from the wicked of their ways listen If God didn't love the lost, why would he put into motion a scheme of redemption of all those years from the time that Adam and Eve fell in the garden and put a plan together that lasted that long that had to bring man gradually back to God? How would it be that God sent his only son to die on Calvary's cross that he loved with all of his heart if he didn't love the sinner well one more thing I'd like to say tonight you know I think it's important that we understand that God also loves those that are Christians but they fall away but I think it's also important that we look to God's word and look to another parable that Jesus said so long ago we don't have time to go into it I'll not talk long about it But in the parable of a prodigal, that was the third and final parable that Jesus gave concerning God's yearning and seeking love for the lost. That's a different story, though. This is a fella. this is a young man that departs. I think it's important that we also understand the father never went after the son and supported him in that lifestyle. You know, I think tonight that sometimes we lose sight of that and we support our loved ones who have made a horrible decision to go back into the world and do things we know are wrong and we support them in that and we're going to love them right on back you want to love them what did the father do he stayed at home and every day i would imagine he looked for that boy to return Finally, that boy realized that there was a detachment between his father and himself. If a man won't feel that, why would he come back? The Bible says this young man finally one day came to himself, and when he did, notice what he did. He purposed in his heart first. He said, I'm going to go back I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. You make me one of your hired servants and that'll be enough. We know the story. When the young man begins to, when he left home, he left looking like the son of the father. When he came back, he didn't even remotely resemble the father's son. I'm going to tell you that no one would have recognized him that day. Not his brother, not the servants, not a neighbor. He didn't even resemble the one that had left. But there was one that did know. There was one that did recognize. And that was the father way out in the distance. You know why the father saw him in a long distance away? He saw him because he was looking for him. He's always perfect. He always stands for that which is right. But he never stops loving his children when they fall away. The Bible says this young man comes to his father. He can't even get all the words out before his father fell on his neck and kissed him and said, put on the best robe. Put a ring on his hand. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry for my son that was lost is now found. Yes, indeed, God loves those that are lost. One more thing before I step down tonight. Sometimes we forget when we tell that story that there's another son. He's a prodigal too. You ever think of that? Prodigal means wasteful. We think the one was a prodigal because he left. He was a prodigal that left, but there was another son that was a prodigal that stayed. You know what the problem was with the second? The problem with the first is his heart went first, then he went. When your heart goes, your life and your body and your actions and your decisions are soon to follow, usually. But this other fella, the older son, his heart was gone, but he remained. That tells me something. That tells me sometimes we can think that we are in good standing with our God because we come and assemble. But we must examine the heart. And if our heart is gone, the Father, the same Father that's longing for the one that has departed to come back is longing for you to change your heart. Wouldn't it be sad, like Jesus said, about building those towers to get to the end and realize there are changes we should have made, but we didn't. It'll be too late. What about those awful words that sometimes we sing, almost persuaded, almost, but lost? If you're not a Christian tonight, those are the steps that make you in Christ and wash your sins away. Hearing the word of God, believing in Jesus, repenting of your past life, confess him for whom he is as the son of God, and be baptized in water tonight. All things are ready. You can do that and have your sins washed away. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.